Hello and welcome to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And we are well into our Matrix-a-thon. What was it called again? A quadrilogy, a tron a trollopology? Go, go on. It's Hang only on. been no, a week, a, tet- a, tet- a tetralogy. A tetralogy. You're nearly there. Tetralogy. Sorry, yes. I, I, a B plus. A tetralogy. For... Allergy. A, a B plus for remembering what, for listeners, has been a week's worth of time. <laughs> for us, admittedly, has been about 40 minutes. Hey, look, uh, but... don't give away the magic. <laughs> don't give away the magic of this podcast on the air. <laughs> Oh dear, but we're back to do the second of this Matrix franchise. Yeah. The Matrix Reloaded. Yes, we've reloaded and rejigged everything in anticipation for this unbelievable uh, sequel. This film, it, I think, I don't know, it's the opposite of feeling that I had for the last one, in that I feel like I remembered it was better than it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think we, in last week's episode, we spent a good deal of that episode heaping praise on the Wachowskis for doing stuff that was unexpected and not the norm. Yeah. And I think in this film, they do what's expected and it feels very normal. Uh, it, it's sort of like they, they, they took the opposite approach. This is a, a big budget movie in the traditional sense that we are used to in the last few years. Yeah, I think. The, sta- it, it, the stakes have definitely up in every single sense of the word in this one. Yeah. Mm. It, um, become, yeah, it sorry, becomes a bit, I, I don't know, I think it becomes very self-absorbed Yeah. in this film. It's, it's not so much about the characters, but it is about the, the world of the Matrix. And there are new characters, James, lots of them. Oh, Tons of them, Jake. In fact, they, they, they made characters for like prequels to the film that were only ever going to be in video games. This, yeah, we're gonna, I knew we were going to talk about this because we're going to have to. Yeah. I, I like the concept in any movie that you introduce new characters to the fray. Um, some films do this really well and some do it really badly. Um, I guess Star Wars, they kind of introduced Boba Fett and... Uh, Lando Calrissian and um, yeah. and Dak. Let's not forget about Dak in Empire Strikes no. Back. Um, I forget about he Dak. was he had such a good moment in that film until he got shot in the face. <laughs> um, but I'm like, with this, you introduce Niobe and Ghost, who are uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, her character and hit and her uh, co what's he called a co pilot. And they've got yeah. a little man who in the chair, like everyone has a man in the chair. So we kind of show you that everyone's got a ship. Everyone's yes. got a captain and everyone's got a man in the chair. Uh, we've got a new man in a chair for this one called Link, who is really good, admittedly, in this film. Um, the actor's name, I'm going to have to try and remember it now. What's his name? He's from... Um, oh, I have not got that queued up. That's so amateur of me. He's the guy from... He plays Mercutio in, um, in, in Romeo and Juliet. Uh, it's Harold um, Perigno. Yes. Perigno. I, I like him. I like Link. I like the character. Um, yeah. he's introduced with the concept of he's replacing Dozer and Tank, who uh, I think Dozer got killed in the last one. I'm presuming Tank dies of his injuries because he's not in this one. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he dies off screen for contractual yeah. reasons. Is that right? Is that right? 
<laughs> There's a huge controversy. Much like we said, you know, you can read a lot about, you know, whether people think the Matrix was copied off other yeah. uh, material. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of controversy over that. So definitely read up on it. That's interesting. I haven't read that yet. Um, yeah, and then you get, uh, he replaces uh, those two operators and the uh, Nebuchadnezzar is cruising around its tunnels like it always does. The film starts in style with an amazing sequence, to be honest. Let's let's be fair. Um, yes. It starts out, we get more text, we get a bigger intro, a longer intro. It's more... Uh, it gives me that tingly feeling that I told you about with the music and the score. It's fantastically yes. epic. Then we see Trinity flying a motorcycle off a building into another building, which then explodes. And then she is fa- falling out of a window, out of a building, whilst being chased by an agent, while falling down to her death, and it's in bullet time. So it's everything that you say. Everything's up to 20 stupid or up to 11. Yeah. And everything's sort of blowing up and everything's exploding. And no one's having conversations normally now. Everyone's having existential crises. Everyone's falling off buildings. Uh, it is that thing you said of everything's just dialed up to a point where yeah. it, it kind of takes away from the characters a little bit. And there are so many fucking characters in it that there's a point where you don't really know who you're really caring about. And then a large portion of like Neo's story kind of doesn't happen. It kind of happens off screen, doesn't it? He he's sort of become a a, a background character. Mm. He's he's almost. I, I think maybe because they were worried he was too overpowered. Yeah, now he's in control. Yeah, they almost don't use him at all. Agreed. Uh, yeah, um, I, I totally agree. Uh, and it feels like they're being very hands-off with Neo. So it does allow some of the other characters, like Trinity, to shine a little bit more. Yeah. But, yeah, there's something, like, when, uh, this is going to be a common theme in this podcast, I'm sure, but whenever we talk about uh, franchises that maybe went off the edge of the cliff slightly, um, or, or in this case, horrendously, we, we've, we, we have Star Wars, and we have the line, somehow, Emperor Palpatine returned. <laughs> That, yeah. That's a thing in, in cinematic history that that people <laughs> yeah. mock. Everyone's having it on their coffin when they die. <laughs> yeah. Now, in this film, we have somehow Agent Smith returned. Yeah, that is true. Because that is never explained no, it's in not. this film. No. I mean, he's, he, Agent Smith tells Neo that he, you set me free. Yeah. And you think, oh, that's an interesting... Are we going to hear more about yeah, that? Yeah. How no. did we say... No, no, we don't hear any more about literally that. Literally blew up. He literally yeah. blew up in the last one. And he blew up not just in in terms of he was in a body and he blew up and he can zap into another body. The, the blow him out of the Matrix because he goes green when he explodes, which yeah. is, is a science, a sci-fi way of saying he gets blown out of code into little yeah. pieces. He, he's definitely not meant to be there he's here still can i just say there's a really good fit in there's there's another digression we love digressions in this podcast oh yeah um there's a film i watched recently called uh uh, renfield with um nicholas holt and um um what's his name nicholas cage holt and cage it's fantastic uh really silly film really good really love it and uh, spoiler alert at the end they have to figure out a way of getting rid of dracula and they try to kill him in multiple gruesome ways and at the end they kind of chop him up blow him up, burn him, and then chop him into cubes, and then the cubes go into a cement mixer, and then they chuck him down the drain, <laughs> and Nicholas Holt says, I've seen him come back from a lot of weird shit. And you go, that's kind of like this film, where you go, how do you kill a character on screen, 
to then yeah. immediately bring him back. It's not like he comes back in an ambiguous way. He's no. immediately there at the beginning, isn't he, when they're in that meeting? And I thought yeah. that. I had the same thing as you. I'm thinking, okay, so we've got we've up the stakes. Trinity's dying. Neo's dreaming it, but we think it's a premonition, but we're not sure yet. But that's fine. That was a cool intro. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar is meeting all the other captains because all the other captains are are telling plot that's exposition. Um, the yes. machines have got drills, and those drills are drilling from the top of Earth into Zion, which is the city of the remaining humans. Um, yes. Big problem, big drill coming down. We're all going to get killed within 72 hours if we don't do something about it. Oh, who's that at the door? It's the bad guy from the last film. It, it's lazy, but it also is that thing of going, okay, they're trying to introduce the big concepts early, which I like that. I liked the big concept. I like that there's a, I'm, there's a ticking clock in Matrix Reloaded, which is yeah. no matter what you do in the Matrix, those machines are going to drill through your spaceship and drill into your home and kill everybody. So yeah. everything needs to be essentially the machines. They're the, that's the primary focus. To the point where in this movie, uh, is it Commander Locke, the, the, the guy who lives in Zion? Yes. He's a, a side character, another character that's given lots of lines, but not a lot to do. He, he's trying to explain to the council and in turn the audience that the Oracle doesn't fucking matter. The Matrix doesn't matter. This prophecies and messiahs. I need to stop these machines from destroying this city. And you're like, yeah, that's, that should have been the primary focus of every character because ultimately, no matter what they do in the Matrix, even if they're in the Matrix, once the machines are drilling through their houses, they're dead anyway. Yeah, and they're going to exactly. all their machines are dead, and all their ro- all their uplinks are gone, and their computer screens are gone. So I'm like, yeah, it's strange that they kind of make that a secondary focus of the characters. It, it's such a because you go from the first film where you're fully rooting for Morpheus and his team, mm. and in in this film, I almost feel like you don't want to root for them because, like you say, there's a real physical threat from from drilling squids drilling squids coming, yeah. drilling squids and they've gone hold on wait a minute we're going to go base jumping with a thesaurus in the matrix give us a sec mm. and you think no no there's there's real drills there it says yes 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 but we've got to go and meet an architect yeah uh, why so this why? this concept at the beginning of the movie um obviously smith's alive we don't really know how yeah. In the context of the film, Smith has said that he is no longer an agent because whatever Neo did to him, it broke him out of the system. He regenerated as a program. We learn a lot about programs in this film. Yes. And Smith is a program that is the equation of the Matrix trying to correct the things that Neo is doing. So basically, every time Neo defies the logistics of the Matrix, Smith is correcting the matrix by turning people into smiths and therefore replicating himself that's roughly the concept isn't it yeah yeah it's essentially like a protocol but it's got out of hand yeah he's sort of like the antivirus that tells you your computer's running slow but really it's running slow because you've got an antivirus on your computer that's a really good yeah exactly yeah that's the best way of putting it um and then the rest of this film sort of kicks off there's a lot of stuff in zion which is very boring. Um, there's the cave. Oh, come on now. They have a rave. They have a rave. Um, the rave is also interlinked with a sex scene between Carrie Moss and Keanu, which oh, I just didn't need that. And I don't, I don't care. I, I get it. Like we need to show that they're in a loving relationship and that Neo's horny. 
But <laughs> so then there's this, there's a bit with Neo and the counselor who comes up a couple of times in this, this these next two films, and the counselor is almost like a wise man who is almost like what Morpheus was in the last film, but Morpheus has got more pressing problems to deal with. And again, they, they take things that other characters had that were strong in the last film and they sort of dilute them down really badly. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, um, Smith is the bad guy, right? He was a great bad guy in the last movie and he's an agent. Well, now he's not an agent. It's fine. But we've still got the agents and they're still in this movie. Uh, yeah. Agent Johnson is now the leader of the agents and he gets battered within the first few minutes of this film. Um, Neo has powers that can't really be explained, but they are omnipotent and he can fly and he can do anything. Um, and everyone else, like you said, is just kind of along for the ride. Um, and then we've got another villain who is the Merovingian, um, the French uh, program who smuggles yeah. programs in and out of the Matrix and he's like a black arms dealer. But you go, why not make that character Smith? <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what, what I mean? Is... I don't I don't know if you needed that. And I like the character. I like the scene he's in. But I don't yes. know whether I needed that character. And it's that thing again of going, just making up another character. Who? I don't know. There's someone from another version of the Matrix. What about this character? I don't know. Make him an agent. I don't yeah, know. I... Keymaker. We need a keymaker. What's a keymaker? Well, he's a person that holds all the keys to all the back doors in the Matrix's code and he can take you through from one side of the Matrix to the other instantly. Right, is he a character? It's got to be a character. Well, can't he just be like a... We think he's a character, then we find out he's not real, he's just a key. I don't know, like, there are things where you go, do we need this? Um, the, 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 the uh, what's her name? The Oracle is in this, but she's not the yeah. Oracle anymore. She's also the woman who is the mother of the Matrix, and she is escorted everywhere by Seraph, who is a program who knows really good martial arts. And it's another character that Neo has to fight. And you're like, what's with all these people? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, why, why all of a sudden are these characters there? There's no, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult one for you to sit down and try and explain. I think you could probably give it a really good plot synopsis yeah. of the original film yeah. and let someone go and watch it and figure some more stuff out for themselves. It's just a bit all over the place. Um, yeah, if you look I, at IMDb, you've got um, Morpheus, Trinity, Neo, then you've got Persephone, who's Monica Belushi's character, Agent Smith, Niobe, Oracle, Link, the architect, the keymaker, the twins, twin one, twin two, Merovingian, Agent Johnson, agent number three, agent number four, Z, Seraph, Counselor Hummon, Agent Thompson, Agent Jackson, Cass, the kid at the dock. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> oh, there's so many great cast <laughs> listings in the film. Again, the kid at the dock. Do you remember the kid at the dock who has his own backstory, who we've never yeah. seen before? Um, Andy Arnes plays police officer number two. There is Captain Mifune, um, Captain Kale, Captain Soren, Captain Locke, sorry, Commander Locke, Captain Ballard, Bane, who's played by Ian Bliss. Now, Bane is the man who picks up the phone. No, sorry, Bane is the man who's in the Matrix, who gets jabbed yeah. by Smith uh, during a dream sequence. I think it's a dream sequence. And then really quickly um, sort of dies, becomes a Smith. And then Smith picks up the phone and goes into the ma- into the hard line, which is yeah. a way of teasing the audience that, that, that this man has now got Smith inside his head. But it is completely forgotten about. <laughs> yeah. And it happens it, about 30 minutes into this movie. It happens at the wrong time. 
Yeah. We've also got Councillor West, Security Guard 1, Axel, Kane, HK, Security Officer number 2. It's just too many people. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of people to keep track of, and they dedicate a lot of time to everybody because that's what makes this film feel like it goes on forever. Yeah. And it's, it's so tricky to keep up with everybody. I, I, I think w- when I watched it the first time around, you, you leave the cinema and you feel a little bit disappointed and you can't put your finger on why. And then as I've watched it for doing this review, I, I'm starting to piece together why it's disappointing. And, and it's, it's trying to be more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Whereas the original f- film was naturally more than the sum of its parts. And this one's just putting a little bit too much effort into it because they, they had all these big grandiose ideas about how this was going to be a multimedia experience and you'd, you'd have to enjoy it for, you know, you'd have to follow all these different storylines from outside of the film into the film and then back out of the film into another form of media. Mm. And it starts to sound a lot like the MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, current day MCU, you have to do your homework to really enjoy it. Yeah. That kid in the dock, I think you get, his backstory, I think, is in one of the Animatrix things, isn't it? Yes, you are right. Or one of the comic books, at least. Yeah. 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 So he yeah. has a backstory. And you're right. He has Na- a Niobe and Ghost, who are Jada Pinkett and uh, her co pilots, they are their backstory and their whole narrative is told through the game on PlayStation, which is called yeah. Enter the Matrix, which is a fantastic video game of its time. But they, they actually did, I don't know if you knew this, they, they, they recorded with the crew on Second Unit. They made another film alongside Matrix Reloaded, chopped it into bits, and the bits of that movie are played in the video game. So when you get to a certain level and enter the Matrix, it cuts to an actual video of the movie with with Jada Pinkett, and and they're doing their own storyline, and it's alongside the Matrix Reloaded. And like, there's a level where you have to go into the Matrix to save Morpheus. And they tell you he's on the freeway, and then you're in a car racing down the freeway fighting people. And at the end of the level, you are pulling up behind the lorry that Morpheus is on top of, fighting the agent, and then he falls off the lorry onto your car. And that's how you have to get the car behind the lorry and make sure you catch Morpheus. That's the whole level. It's brilliantly clever. Yeah. But again, it was like, oh my God, if you didn't know this from this film from the outside, like you said, the entire film's universe has been built on the internet, on an Easter egg campaign, on video games, on comic books, on an animated series. You kind of have to have known all of that before you watch this movie, similar to the MCU, like you said. I, I, I need that, that, that meme of uh, Mike Myers as Austin Powers, where he says, oh no, I've gone cross-eyed. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. that, that's exactly how this film makes me feel sometimes. Yeah. I feel like, oh, I, I, was, I was understanding. I was, I was totally following along. And it's not the bits that the film wants to feel complicated, like with the architect. Mm. They're not the bits that are overly complicated. No, I agree. I think it's, it's the smaller building blocks that get you there that are complicated because they have so many moving parts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Where we, where we said last week that, you know, the Matrix, the, the original, has very few plot holes, has very few points that don't make yeah, sense. Yeah, and if it does, you don't care because you're so engrossed with the character work. Yeah. This is just riddled with plot holes. Mm. And, and and bits that I don't understand and, and don't make sense. It's, and it's the thing you said earlier about the sum of its parts, where it's trying to be a bigger film than the concept it has. 
And yeah. if you read the plot summary, like we said earlier, you get a synopsis for Matrix One and uh, sorry, Matrix Two and Three. The machines are digging from the surface to Zion in order to destroy Zion and eliminate the humans that are down there. That'll also eliminate any humans jacking into the Matrix illegally. Um, so that's the machine's goal, right? Machines killing all the humans, fine, the ones that are in Zion. Uh, the humans are trying to find out, or Neo specifically, is trying to get to the source in this movie. And the source is the person who created the Matrix in order to find the answer to stopping the war against Zion. Um, and around the back of that, the people in Zion are getting ready for a battle. That is essentially the entire plot of this movie. It's one big teaser trailer campaign for the next movie, uh, yes. where the things that happen actually happen, that, that, that are happening. So this whole stuff in Zion is so boring because really none of it matters. Uh, it doesn't yeah. really matter either till the next film because none of this stuff that's happening to Zion happens until the next film. Um, so we have all of that. Then we have the idea that, um, that, that Morpheus says, look, soon the more, the Oracle is going to contact me when she does, then we'll get into the matrix and things will happen. You're like, cool. Morpheus has told us how the plot's going to go, which is kind of nice. He did that in the last film. The Oracle rings Morpheus and Link and they have to go into the matrix. Um, Neo goes down a corridor of doors, which I really liked. And they are the back doors to the Matrix, aren't they? They're like yeah. a, a channel of doors that allow programs to go in and out of the Matrix, uh, basically like a terminal on a Mac. Yeah, uh, which is really cute, and you can see how everything works in there. And I like, I really liked that from a way of doing it as an analogy or a metaphor about how computer systems work. Uh, that a program uses a back door to go into another program. So that was cute. Um, yeah, they see the Oracle, Gloria Foster. She tells Neo that. Um, she tells Neo that I'm not real, basically, doesn't she? She says, I'm not real. You know I'm not real. I'm a program for the machine world. And he says, well, if you're all programs made by the machines, how can we trust that you're telling us the right information? Maybe you're just in cahoots with the robots trying to kill us. And she says, well, that's exactly what choice you've got to make. And you need yeah. to follow your path. And he's like, where does my path end? And she's like, your path ends um, where all the paths end at the machine source, where the person who made the Matrix is. And you're like, okay, so you've got to go and do that. So he's got a sort of fetch quest. Uh, in order to get to the man who made the Matrix, or woman, Neo has to get a program called the Keymaker to make him a key to open a door at a specific time, and it's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but but it's it's fine, because ultimately, okay, we've got a quest. After that, he fights Smith again. Uh, but Smith is not just one Smith, he's lots of Smiths. This scene is really good for about five minutes, and then it goes on for another ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, it just goes on and on, and there's... Uh, I, I complimented yeah. the soundtrack. Yeah, the I like one. the soundtrack. And the soundtrack in this one, I think the musically, it's just as good, if not better. Mm. But this scene in particular uh, has a, uh, a number of Foley effects that are just outright bonkers. What? Bing! <laughs> when he hits Bing him with the pole, and and, the, and when he hits all the other smiths, and it makes a uh, a it makes a noise like a bowling alley. Yeah, there's <laughs> you, the temple bowling I alley. You're going to say that, <laughs> and and then and there's a there's a bit where it sounds like dominoes falling over yeah, as well. It does. And and I, so I'm, I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking this this is a this is a, a like a an an analogy it's similar to like the Jesus story. This is, this is meant to be serious philosophical filmmaking that yeah. you're doing. And then, 
And then there's domino sound effects and a 10-pin yeah. bowling alley going on and um, a bunch of people who are wearing rubberized versions of Hugo Weaving's face. Uh, I don't understand how, these, how all this is happening in the same film. Oh, and, no. And uh, there's a bit where he does like a Super Mario where he jumps on people's heads. Uh, I, and, and then he gets overwhelmed by all these different Smiths and he just flies out of there. And he could have done that all along. Yeah, the coolest bit of this is where the agent shows up to see what's going on and Smith says hello and stabs him with his hand and turns yeah. the agent into a Smith, which is clever because it also then tells the audience he can do this to anyone in the Matrix. Uh, and it's yeah. not limited to just humans who are in the Matrix. Um, I like that. There's one thing I really wanted to tell you that I noticed about this, which I'd never noticed before watching this movie. Uh, yeah. In the sequels, when they're in the Matrix, uh, Hugo Weaving and Smith, they show up in full colour with no green tint. Everything around him is in green. Ah, it's really weird. And I only noticed it this time. Clever. And I've, I've watched a few scenes to see if I'm right. And I've done a bit of Googling and I am. He is. So Hugo Weaving's in a black suit and he's, he's glasses are black. He is in full normal color. Everything around him is saturated green, but it's showing you that he's no longer in the green. He's no longer in the yeah. system. He's outside okay. the system. I was like, ah, that's clever. So he is more than what he was in the last film. Um, and that's the that's so frustrating because that's the sort of really smart, clever yeah. thing they did in the first film. Yeah, and it's just overshadowed by the yeah. bland, not nothingness of the rest of this movie. I like the scene Good. where I like the scene where uh, he goes to see the uh, the uh, the Oracle. I kind of put in my notes: the film doesn't really start until Neo goes into the Matrix to see the Oracle, um, yeah. and it's like a, a nice mirroring of the scene they had in the first movie except they're both in different positions. Uh, he fights Seraph. Um, Seraph was um, supposed to be Jet Li. He was offered the role, um, yeah. but he declined. Uh, Jet Li said he didn't want his martial arts moves to be copied or digitized into a computer so they could be copied by other people because uh, he was worried they were going to slow them down and, and do things with them. So it was all a bit of a, a, bit of a um, weird thing that Jet Li has about his work. Yeah, but yeah, I like the scene where he fights Seraph, and it's just a test. And and Seraph says, "I'm just testing to make sure you're the one." Um, he could have just asked, like Neo yeah. says, <laughs> um, which I thought was cute. Um, and then the architect, sorry, the Oracle like, describes that ghosts and aliens and uh, werewolves are just programs doing something they're not supposed to be doing in the Matrix. Which I thought was nice. Yeah. I, I love the idea that at some point there was there, there's a version of the Matrix where there are werewolves and vampires, and that's the film they should be making. Yeah, I want I want to see that version of the Matrix. I know. Um, then they have to go and see the Merovingian, who is the French program, who basically yeah. smuggles programs in and out of the Matrix. He is a uh, obscene uh, man with an obscene French accent, making obscene comments he's, all the way through the film. He's, he's very sweary. It's very funny sweary because it's in French. It's exactly how I imagine Americans see the French. Yeah, like I'm surprised Merovingian doesn't have a mustache and have frog's legs in his hands. Like, yeah. the, do you know what I mean? I'm surprised he doesn't have a beret and a fucking baguette. Like, it's yeah. it's, it's so stereotypically French that I couldn't get past it in a way. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a wicked character, and then yeah. you've got uh, uh, Persephone, his as wife, well, yeah, his wife, who is equally stereotypically quite French, 
um, and, and very angry in amongst you know in her own way. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of angry people. The kiss uh, scene is very stupid. Can we just put that out there? Where yes. they're in the kitchen and she goes, I want to kiss. And they have to do this whole scene. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, hurry up. Yeah. Aren't we on a yeah. timer here? You just said Zion's going to be destroyed in 70 hours. What are we pissing around at here? There's literally, there's a scene, I think it's in the third one, which we'll talk about next week. In the third one, there's literally a scene where uh, Trinity says, I don't have time for this shit, and then just starts fighting people. And that is kind of how I felt in this film. Yeah. It's like no one they, seems they waste to be, a lot no, of time. Yeah, no one seems to be aligned with the stakes or the things that are at stake. Um, I think it's because everyone's read the script and realizes there is a second movie. So they, they yeah. can, all the waste characters it. seem to know that they can waste it because the, these films were filmed back to back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, this was uh, a, a bonkers idea that Warner Brothers seemed to encourage by having a year of Matrix. Yeah. You know, this, these weren't films released a year after one another. They were released in the same year. Oh, were they? I don't think I've got that. Is that yeah. right? 2003? Yeah, so this the, yeah, this was the year of the Matrix. They were released in... <sighs> Basically, the same same time as one another. They were Warner Brothers wanted to really get everything out of this while they could. I think they must have been a few months apart, wasn't they? I'm sure yeah, they were. yeah. I think one was at the beginning of the year and one was at the end of the okay. year. Okay, I, um, I put in my notes as well here. Um, I think that this scene was literally someone going, "We've got Monica Belushi. What about her? Well, she's a bit sexy, right?" We need someone to get off with her. <laughs> uh, who who can get off with her? Morpheus? Nice, too old. Get Neo to get off with her. Why? I don't know. Make some shit up. <laughs> yeah. Make, make some nonsense up. You know the relationship between yeah. N- Neo and Trinity that no one really buys into or believes? Yeah. <laughs> make that the thing that Persephone's after. Yeah. I, why? And also, <laughs> why we, need to, we need to hit home that the entire point of this movie and the way it ends is to reinforce the relationship between Neo and Trinity that you didn't believe in the last movie. Uh, there's also the bit in the chateau where they she picks a gun up and shoots one of the programs. And yeah. she says, go and tell my husband what I've done. And she says, um, these programs are from an old version of the Matrix and they're very hard to kill. How many people keep silver bullets in their gun? And she shoots one of them. And I'm thinking... Are they werewolves? <laughs> are they, I think that's what they're alluding yeah, to. Yeah, are they the werewolves from what the Oracle was saying earlier? I was like, is that a thing? Are they like, is that like, I don't know, are they making a reference to themselves? Because they're watching Thriller. <laughs> yeah. Which is odd. It, it's this, it's such a, an odd throwaway line. Yeah. And then you, as you say, when you're watching it, like we've been watching it with a, with a bit more detail, yeah. you think, why is that in here as well? Yeah. It's weird. This, yeah. I like the um, keymaker's cell. I put in my notes. He looks like a little man that's just working in Timpsons, but forever. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone abroad that doesn't know what Timpsons is, Google Timpsons UK, and I guarantee you the first image you see will be a keymaker. <laughs> so what you're saying is we're living through the Matrix in the UK, basically. Yeah, and if you need they to just... get through a door that no one else can get through, just nip to Timpsons. Yeah, they'll make you a key. It's fine. Uh, um, I like the twins. I think, have I told you about the twins? I think I did off uh, off air. So Yeah, but yeah. Worth, it bears repeating. The twins are, are actually quite cool characters. They're a cool concept, and they are the two men with the uh, sort of albino-looking men with the white dreadlocks, and they go all ghosty and strange when they want to attack you, and then they can sort of heal up and do whatever, and they can go through walls and shit. 
Um, apparently they were written and made the concept of the twins is that they are two agents from a previous version of the matrix, um, which are smuggled from the old version to the new version by the, uh, by the Merovingian. So they are literally yeah. agents. That's why they look a bit like agents. They've got suits on, they've got glasses on and they're very, they're identical to each other. Um, but they didn't really last in the old matrix. So they've just been kept on as his little henchmen. And I thought that's really cool. I like that a lot. That's like the kind yeah. of stuff that I geek out on. That, that, um, they are really cool. The moment that the fight sequence in the chateau starts, this film yeah. goes the the tempo and pace of this movie goes up so fast that it blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it goes. We've, we've so been plodding along, nothing's <laughs> happening, and then all of a sudden we get thrown into a. a, a trance rave mm. of, of with orchestral music in the background as well everything's going off there's uh neo blocking swords with his hand um, it's unbelievable james it's about yeah. it's about a 40 i think it's a 46 minute action scene which it's nearly half the film and it's, it goes from the chateau fight to the car park with neo and Trin- uh, sorry trinity and morpheus are trying to get the keymaker out of the chateau through their magic doors uh, they end up in a parking lot, then they're fighting the twins, then they end up on the cityscape, and then they end up on the freeway, and then they end up fighting on the freeway, then they end up on motorcycles, then they end up on top of a truck, and then the truck ends up on fire. It literally blows my mind how they've conceived of that whole thing. The freeway, yeah. the freeway chase, I'm going to put it out there, even now in 2023, it's 20 years old, it's one of the greatest bits of action I've ever seen in a film. It is yeah. that good. I can't fault any of it. I think it's brilliant. It's so it's, exciting. It's wicked. And I think of all the bits in the film, it, it holds up so well because it's... The, the other thing that they did in this film that makes it feel a bit more like modern-day Hollywood is they leaned really heavily into CGI, more so than yeah. they did in the previous film. Um, but the freeway scene, they actually had, I think it's like a mile and a half long set that's mad, isn't it? So, so they 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 made uh, a freeway that they could film on, and again, um, it is uh, Carrie Ann Moss driving. Yes, she I've does heard all this. Her own yep. Driving, it's mad, isn't it? Uh, so it, again, it's that that thing. The bits that really hit in this film hit hard yeah. because it's the real, it's the genuine person in the driving seat or doing the uh, doing the martial arts. They they sort of. They didn't invent bullet time, but they helped popularize it. I think the motor, this- I think the motorway scene saves the film. Oh, absolutely! Take it out, and I could not watch any of that. Putting that yeah. in, it saves the entire movie. Um, it, it really it's does. Just incredible. Apparently, General Motors gave uh, Warner three hundred cars to use on the freeway. And they said Mad, every single one of them was mullered by the end of the shoot, <laughs> which just gives you an idea of the scope and scale of that action scene. I mean, there's a yeah. bit where they're fighting the twins, the twins are in the car, then they're fighting in the car with razor blades and samurai swords, and then an agent climbs out of a car, jumps off a car onto another car. You're like, this is insane. And then the bit where Morpheus like um, slices the car in half with the samurai sword and then shoots yeah. it and sets it on fire. I, oh God, it was thrilling. It's so thrilling to the point it's, where it's I could just brilliant. go and watch it again now because I really I enjoyed it that much. 
And I think if you watch that movie, that scene, you have to have it on really stupid volume and just really just enjoy yeah. it. It's so loud and so bangy bangy. There's also a bit where they're flying down a tunnel and they slow it down for like three seconds. Do you remember that scene? I think yes. like someone's shooting out of the back of the car, I think Morpheus and Trinity's driving and there's the twins and the coppers and they're all flying down this freeway and it all just stops and crawls in slow motion. And then all the glass flies up and then it all just carries on again. I was like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it, it. Yeah. It's it's a great it's a great scene. And like I said, I think because it is it's so visceral, it's quite it feels real. But do you know um, what they forgot about? What? They didn't put Smith in that scene. And he's not in the film for the rest of the film until the very end. No, <laughs> that's true. To the that's point sort of... to the point where I forgot he was in the film until he shows up at the end. That is so true, because he, yeah, he just goes missing for a really big hmm. chunk of that Like film. a whole hour and a bit. He's not in it. And he, wow. you, you don't know what he's up to. You know he's just copying himself like some sort of Xerox machine. Just going, yeah. just copying himself. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I'm just going to make copies. Why? I've got a big fat fight sequence coming up later. Um, but yeah, then they go to a building with the key maker who explains that, again, more exposition that they need to go into this corridor again and right at the end of the corridor will be a door and it can only be opened at a particular time with a particular key and all power has to be cut. And this is all to get Neo into the room where the man who makes the Matrix can be accessed. So it's a really big, strange concept. Um, But again, it's kind of hinted upon throughout the film that he needs to do this to save Zion. And Morpheus says that's the prophecy. He'll go through this door and then he'll liberate all of us. And then they have this scene where they're all like getting into position. Then they have to blow a power plant up and something else. But one of the crew members, uh, they get killed by squids halfway through. So they fail their mission. They all die. Yeah. And then what's his name? Then Neo goes through the door, but the door isn't the architect. Smith comes out and he's in the doors. I like that bit. Yeah. And then they all fight. They all fight. That's it, is it? This film is a bunch of and then, and then. It is kind of like that, isn't it? Um, Yeah. But the architect, James, he was going to be played by uh, um, Sean Connery originally. Um, Yeah. Connery said he didn't understand the film, so he basically did a Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And again, like Will Smith, Connery went for another film that he knew was going to be super successful called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which ended his career. Yeah, I mean, some absolute standout decisions on yeah, both parts. It's great, really. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. The, the the architect scene is a little bit of an exposition dump. It's a bit boring. Um, but he basically explains to Neo that everything that's happened up till now has been preconceived, uh, a bit like the end of Loki. And that you're just going to be stuck in here. Uh, you have two doors to go through. One will lead back to yeah. the Matrix where you can rescue your wife. And the other door leads to the salvation of Zion where uh, you'll get to pick a bunch of people and restart the Matrix, basically. Um, which is odd. It was a very odd way of ending the film. And it's, I don't know, a bit low. What do you call it? Like, It's like low stakes, isn't it? Like, Yeah. It's it, a bit dumb. It's really dumb because... Uh, the the outcome is obvious, even though the the way the film sells it is all previous Neos have done the opposite of what our Neos doing. Yeah. But what our Neos doing feels like the obvious thing. Yeah. 
And so you've got this real sort of cognitive dissonance going on in your head. The film's telling you what you're watching is unusual and impressive. And you're watching it going, well, that's what I would expect this Neo to do. Yeah. You know, uh, everything that you've told me about this character makes me think he's an honourable person who really loves this woman. So he's obviously going to go and rescue her. Yeah. It's not, it's not unusual. So yeah, the stakes are raised really high. You know, it's end of the world or end of your girlfriend and you're going to choose the girlfriend and try and do both. Um, but nothing, when it lands, it doesn't land with any weight because it's exactly what we expected. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and obviously we see the scene again from the beginning where she goes into the Matrix Trinity to save Neo, and we realise that she has to go in there because if she doesn't destroy the power plant, then they can't get through the door and see the architect. So it's sort of a bit of a, um, what do they call it, like chicken and egg situation, isn't it? It's a bit of a grandfather paradox in there. Well, he said mm. she went into the Matrix to save you. I'm like, well, no, she only went into the Matrix to save him because he would have died if she hadn't because he wouldn't have been able to go through the door and meet the architect. So the whole thing's just sort of like a big circle. It's stupid. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, she saves Neo. Neo then flies out of the architect's room, decides to fuck everything off, bollocks to Zion, I'm going to save my wife, flies across the planet so quickly that he destroys half the city behind him, yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, snatches her out of midair, which would have killed her, by the way, because she was falling yeah. at that speed. I mean, I'm no physicist, but I'm pretty sure if you catch a woman going at that speed one direction and she's going at one speed the other direction, they both just turn into ketchup. We, we, we've all seen Andrew Garfield's The Amazing Spider-Man, and Gwen doesn't come out of that very She well. does not, no. <laughs> she doesn't. Never web a woman <laughs> when she's falling. <laughs> um, and, then, and then, yeah, he saves her, he pulls the bullet out of her heart. It's very daft, but... Yeah. Uh, and then it cuts back to the ship where um, he's, uh, Morpheus basically says what the audience says, which is, I don't get what this film's been about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what was the point of going there if, if you were, the whole time he said that the war would be over once you reached the source? And he says it will be within 24 hours. If I don't do something in 24 hours, Zion will be destroyed. And he goes, how do you know that? And he goes, ah, oh, someone told me. He's like, who told you? Just fucking tell him. Just tell him, Neo. <laughs> Yeah, just, just explain the just explain this one bit of the plot to to the one person who needs to know it the most because he's at this point Morpheus is he's, sort he's of all life has been put into Neo, isn't it? Yeah, all his eggs. And, yeah, and it, you just think that would be a perfect time to explain what's going on. Yeah, chooses not to. <laughs> uh, then the ship gets blown up, which again feels like it just comes out of nowhere, um, and then they. they yeah, and then it kind of ends with... Uh, I liked the line when Morpheus looks at Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, do you know the line he says is, uh, I had a dream, but now that dream is gone for me. Yeah. Uh, that's from the Bible. It's an allusion to the book of Daniel, uh, right, where King right. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a golden image of Daniel, uh, and Morpheus is a prophet who guides the ship to Nebuchadnezzar. So it's like a biblical link. Yeah. Which I thought was quite cute. Um, yeah. Then... We cut, they get rescued, and we find out that someone screwed up the plan. And there was a plan to sort of, what is it, blockade the machines on their digging route. Um, But all the ships got destroyed by an electromagnetic pulse, which is what the the ships use as a weapon. And then, bum, 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 you see uh, a man on the table who may or may not be Smith. And then the film ends. Yeah. It's a little bit lazy, I think. It also feels like it comes out of nowhere with no payoff, the ending. 
Yeah, it, it's it's massively lazy, and mm. I think it's because they know they're setting up the sequel because they are filming it at the same time. It just feels like everything they put all of their energy in, into building to this sequel without ever thinking that people might want to enjoy the film that they're watching. Yeah. It's a little bit like the MCU. Yeah. Um, you know, it is. You might, but you, <laughs> it, all yeah. these mistakes that they made here have now been repeated by future sort of cinema production houses. But there were always mistakes. They were always yeah. bad decisions. Yeah. But they, I think, um, ironically in some ways, I think this film made more money than either of the two other films either side of it. Because of the hype. Yeah. yeah. I think people 100%. were so hyped up after seeing what was a, a smaller budget film in the first one. They thought this would be great. And people were so disappointed in the outcome of this one that they didn't really go out and see this... Third it's one fascinating, in isn't it? Yeah, it is. yeah, it's fascinating. I think there's a few films that do this double sequel thing. Um, Back to the Future did it. So two, yeah. two and three made at the same time, released separately. Um, but obviously viewed as one big one, one big four hour picture. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean did it with their two sequels. Um, That's true. They're made back to back, and the. I, I think the cut off in in Caribbean Pirates of the Caribbean is better than than this film. Um, yeah. Harry Potter, the last film, is one film in two halves, isn't it? Um, which we've done on this podcast. Uh, yeah. There are a few. There are a few that do it well. I don't think... I think the ending should have been more dramatic. And I was thinking about it when we were writing the podcast, like writing stuff for the podcast. Maybe it should have been... The ending should have been Smith going down the phone line and waking up in the real world. I, do you know what I mean? I just feel like... Yeah. Because they put that fucking stupid little scene during the sexy rave bit in this in and, and, yeah. and it's completely out of left field and then when it's i think neo's dreaming it isn't he or neo sees it in premonition form yeah but it's never alluded to and and neo never turns around to the, another character and goes should we just check if smith's able to like get down phone lines yeah <laughs> go, what do you mean yeah do you know how we get out of the matrix by picking up the phone yeah yeah. If he can do can, that can, can he do, can he that? do that and, you, yeah. and it's never addressed and even when it happens it's never addressed how he got there. And no. I just felt like he just wasted that really cool bit. Like you said about Palpatine returned. You don't yeah. tell us how Smith returns. You don't tell us what Smith's power level is. But you also don't say, well, Smith's fucking real then, isn't he? He can just do whatever he yeah. wants. He's basically God. Yeah. Oh, and that it, just annoyed it, me. And it gets even more annoying in the third one where they forget to explain what Smith's end game is, really. Yeah. It's it's so so frustrating because we keep coming back to it. The the first film avoided so many of the traps, current day yeah. traps and mistakes, and it seems like the third, the, the second one, and especially the third one, but the second one seems to have been like the beginning or like the nascent form of all these errors that mm. we see that stop current films being as fun as they potentially could be. Yeah, um, I, I I've got some about you know. We mentioned that the the freeway scene being so practical made it the best bit. I, I've got so, some background about why some of the CGI stuff doesn't land so well, yeah. or, or what they were what they were attempting to do. Because I, I was looking into it, and it was um, a response to how copied Bullet Time had become already, even by and parodied, you know, two, yeah, and parodied even by the you know two thousand and two to three when they were sort of filming and releasing these films. 
they wanted to do something that would one-up that, would make that better. And they invented a new, uh, or helped invent a new form of cinematography. For, it was called, uh, it was a virtual cinematography, and they called it universal capture. Mm-hmm. And it, the idea was uh, it would be a mixture of um, capturing the scene from a, a multiple camera setup and then using that to then uh, overlay a, a virtual, a 3D modelled version of the scene. But they also uh, developed a way of capturing, and this was the universal capture, the process of uh, capturing and storing digital copies of people's faces, right. and facial expressions. So a lot of this, you, it might seem normal now. You know, we, we have uh, digital... Uh, replacements in, in um, many films. Instead of stunt doubles, they'll use CGI body doubles. Yeah. Um, a, a, a year later, this was used in Spider-Man Two for the segments with Spider-Man and Otto Octavius. Yeah, we, we talked. Ock. We talked about this in Jurassic Park. They did it in Jurassic Park for yeah. the children. Yeah. Yeah. So they, this, <laughs> they, this uh, the second Matrix was where they really started to get this as a concept for for, for filming, and. That's that's why some of them, uh, like especially the uh, the burly brawl, you know, the bit with all the agents mm. um, and Neo, all the agent Smiths and Neo. A lot of that doesn't feel very satisfying because the a lot of them are just CG models; they're not the actual actors. Yeah, uh, there are little bits of that scene where it's it's the actors because apparently uh, Keanu Reeves had to learn something like five hundred moves for that scene. Oh. Um, but so much of it is are these these body doubles, uh, these digital CGI body doubles, and that in its earliest form, when they talk about this um, uh, photogrammetry, it's it's like an early form of the um, stuff that they do now for the Mandalorian, where all the sets are virtualized, mm-hmm. um, and, and this is sort of like an early attempt at that. The uh, Warner Brothers even set up their own, uh, essentially their own version of um, uh, the uh, ILM studio that uh, Lucasfilm had. Mm -hmm. So they set their own sort of computer graphics company up to make these things happen. So all of this 3D stuff was going on, but it was in such an early form of what it was that it didn't really land as well as the practical stuff did in the film before it. Yeah, and. Obviously, things have advanced to a point now where it's often really tricky to tell whether it, it's been done. I mean, the, the famous one is the uh, end of Iron Man 3, where supposedly Robert Downey Jr. throws his arc reactor into the sea, but Robert Downey Jr. was not on set. It was a virtualized face on another actor. Mad, that, isn't it? And, and had I not read that, had I not been told that, I wouldn't know that. It looks real. Yeah. So all of these little errors and issues that we have with the Matrix Reloaded sort of CGI eventually leads to being able to do something like that, which I get, I, I get is cool and interesting. But at the same time, it also leads to um, somewhat lazy filmmaking where you've got shows like Obi-Wan mm-hmm. where everything feels so constrained because it has to fit in that tiny little set. Yeah, but it's like you said um, before, it, it, you ruin the magic by going, 
it doesn't really matter what we do in principal photography because we can just fix it later with CGI. You go, no, yeah. you need to stop thinking like that. Start thinking about what the concept is and how to make the concept the best it could possibly be. Um, yeah. Not, well, just fix it later. Like, no, stop thinking no. like that. That's yeah. got to just, go. Just do it properly. <laughs> so, I, yeah, that's the thing that really miffs me about modern filmmaking from that perspective. But, yeah, this sequel, again, it it felt like you said, it felt like a trailer for a franchise payoff that we never really get. Um, and what you end up with with this one is lots of concepts, lots of talking, lots of conversations, lots of spurious dialogue. Um, the scenes like with the one with the architect and the ones in Zion couldn't be more like that. It's all about the big concept, the big picture. In the third yeah. one, I think because of the amount of feedback they got about the the script, they just dialed it all back and went with action. And as a result, the third one is just punchy, smashy, blowy, uppy all the way through. And that then suffers from the, the opposite problem, which is there is no storyline to the third one. It is literally just everything's blowing up everywhere. Um, so it's one of those things. It's a very fine balancing act. And I'm sure they'd have fixed it by the time we get to Matrix 4. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they'll have had all that time to sort of think about the feedback they got marinated in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, for a few years. Uh, make, uh, and make a perfect film. I can't imagine uh, they're going to no make problems. anything a problem with the fourth one. I think the fourth one will be perfect. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do five facts? Have you got some facts? Other I, than what you've given facts. me? I have some more facts. Let's roll the jingle. Roll the jingle. Five facts. So, um, apparently the film was originally banned in Egypt because of the film's religious themes. What? What religious theme? There was a theme? <laughs> yeah, apparently. They, they could read into the theme. Uh, I think it was all the, all the uh, Christian, uh, <coughs> sort of Judeo-Christian sort of references that the film made. Like Zion. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the film wasn't allowed to be released originally in Egypt, but it was later released after approval by the Censorship Bureau, which sounds like a great sort of official thing to have, yeah. the Censorship Bureau. Uh, so you, you know you probably live in a free democracy when the government has a censorship bureau. I just like the idea that 20 years after the film's release, someone in like a Muslim country like Egypt is going, this film needs to finally be played. Let me meet these lovely Wachowski brothers. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, not again. Not <laughs> it's going to get banned again. <laughs> yeah. Um, second fact, the, uh, this is down to the soundtrack, uh, which I, I found quite interesting from a, like a musical geeky perspective. Because in last week's episode, I mentioned that there are only 12 notes in a Western scale. Yes, you so did. Yeah. Things are going to sound similar. Well, what they've done in, in the soundtracks, the Matrix, the soundtrack starts in the key of E minor. And then the Matrix Reloaded takes that same set of notes and moves it up a whole step to the key of F sharp minor. And then in Matrix Revolutions, it ascends again half a step to the key of G minor. So it's the same patterns, just moved up the keyboard a little bit. Ah. Uh, So obviously they were doing that to increase the tension, I guess, and it's going up in pitch. But it's something that unless you watch the films back to back, like we've just done, yeah. um, you might not notice that. But obviously, the uh, the two films um, 
Reloaded and Revolutions were released in 2003. So maybe people would be aware of that, but it's such a, a small change, but obviously very deliberately done. Oh. Uh, so that's fact number two. Um, Love that. Let's have a look. I've got another fact here. So... Um, We've discussed, obviously, that the two films released in the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Matrix Reloaded promotional material was in such high demand that distributors were extremely worried about it being stolen. <laughs> to combat this, <laughs> standees and banners were sent out with the code names of Caddyshack 2 and The Replacements. Just to get them to <laughs> so, not look at it. Yeah, so several cinemas uh, thought that they'd not received the materials due to these names and as such did not display them until the last minute. That's so funny. So, That's like Blue Harvest in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great. Um, I, I love the idea that they'd send these out to try and keep things as secret as possible and it works so well that even the cinemas didn't realise they had the material until the, the very last uh, sort of moment just before the film was to go on. To be showed, um, yeah. brilliant and kind of crazy that that just couldn't happen now, could it? With social media mm-hmm. and everything, but it would get leaked instantly. Um, uh, when Trinity hacks the power station's computer, the uh, password she uses is Z one O N zero one zero one. So Zion zero. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was that was pretty pretty cool little little reference there um i read one i'll give you one um oh yeah that go, i read today ahead. and i didn't know this so do you know when they get rescued by the ship at the end and yeah. it's a ship that features in the third one more it's called the hammer um and it's one of the nebuchadnezzar and the is it the logos and the hammer it says the hammer's ship and written on the hull is the actual name of the hammer which is called milnur a difficult yes. name to pronounce explains why nobody in the film calls it by its real name. But Mjolnir is the name of Thor's hammer, uh, as we all know, thanks to Marvel. But uh, yeah, yeah, the ship is called Mjolnir, but the people just call it Hammer, the hammer, which I thought was funny. That's wow. why it doesn't have a posh name like all the other ships. That, it, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how now culturally people will recognise Thor's hammer's name. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. at the time, that, that wouldn't have been a... A, thought, a Nordic really. word's too hard to say. That's what they'd have thought. Yeah, <clears throat> really strange. And then uh, one last one. Uh, on. the, the original plan for releasing this film and Matrix uh, Revolutions was to release them several weeks apart oh. and not months. Oh, you so did. So you, really... That's what you said earlier, wasn't it? That yeah. they were very close. Yeah, so they, they ended up being months apart, yeah. but they were in, originally intended to be released within weeks. So... Warner Brothers had this whole year of Matrix thing. It was that, you know, the game was released in this year as well. Oh. Uh, and I think uh, some of the comic, uh, the, you know, the graphic novels were done at the same time as well. Yeah. So they, they were releasing as much sort of Matrix stuff as they could um, in that one year to, to make it year of the Matrix. Oh, you were right. Um, so it was May. It was, they released, Revo- Reload was released in May with Revolutions coming out in November, six months later. Yeah, oh. so it, it, it's uh, it's incredible, isn't it? Because I don't remember them being that close together. No, I don't. It's what it's like when you're younger, isn't it? You just think, that, yeah. I mean, that to me, six months is ridiculous when you think about it in those terms. Um, considering we have to wait thirty years for sequels now, like Top Gun and uh, <laughs> Blade Runner. Um, but yeah, that does seem really close. Interesting. Yeah. And 
I, it's the film has so many little Easter eggs, and it, if you if you go to IMDb and read all of the the various little trivia bits, I mean, to to show you the the extreme example I did find is when Agent Smith pulls up in an Audi at the beginning of the film. Yeah. His license plate is IS5416. In the King James Bible, Isaiah 5416 says, Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in this fire, and uh, that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. That's incredible. Why didn't you lead with that fact? That's my favourite fact. I want. I wanted to save that one as the last one yeah, that's because that wicked. was the most. That was the most extreme example of <laughs> just a number plate being a, a reference to Isaiah in the uh, oh, King James. Bible. You see, that makes me like it more because I know more. But again, like we said about the last film, I yeah. like the Matrix because every every single detail of that film looks like it had a lot of meticulous thought in it. Whereas this one seems yeah. like there's just too much going on. But when you tell me things like that, I start to feel like a lot of love for it again. Yeah, you you have to with this film go out of the film so often yeah. to come back into the film yeah. to go out of the film into the film to to get all these references. And I think so much more of it was uh, done in a more concise way in the first film. Yeah, you, yeah. you don't you don't get taken out of the film. Yeah, it's not as on the You're, nose as this one seems to be. I, I'm I'm with with <laughs> the uh, the best way I could describe it is that with the first film I've gone to see. Um, a, a, an architectural building, but I'm more impressed by what the people inside that building did. So, say it's a science building, yeah. And I've gone, I've gone in, uh, and they they they've gone, and this is let's say it's the building where they've they've found uh, a cure for. Well, it was the let's say they found that how to deal with COVID in this building, yeah. And I'm impressed by the fact that they dealt with COVID in the building, whereas. This film is like I'm being guided around Trump Tower and Donald Trump is pointing out to me how nice the uh, the architecture is. Yeah. And I have to be constantly reminded that this architecture is a reference to another building in another city that was also great. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, that's the key difference for me. Is that the first film I'm impressed by not only the, the structure of the film, but the, the, the goings-on inside the a film lot of sequels, A lot of sequels struggle with that, though, don't they? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you and I have talked about contractual sequels a lot, which are great. And for anyone that listens to us that doesn't understand the term contractual sequel, um, it's basically where they've already agreed a deal. So the Marvel films are great examples of that. The new film, The Marvels, is a contractual sequel where they had to have a sequel for Captain Marvel. So they had to come up with something. Uh, Thor, uh, Love and Thunder was uh, because of the success of Thor Ragnarok. They had to make another one. Um, yeah. so no one really wanted to make it but they had to make it because the money they, they want money it's just money um ghostbusters 2 is a great example where they had to rush to make a film because apparently the uh, cast and and the director ivan reitman was getting bombarded every year why are you not making another one when are you going to make another one we'll offer you this much money to make another one to the point where they couldn't say no anymore so they just made another one um and and it, this comes up again in matrix 4 which we'll talk about in, in a week or two about the fact that a contractual sequel um, is often just a desperate cash grab, uh, yeah. desperately trying to just recoup some money because the box office went well once in one direction. It's it's so sad. It's like it, imagine it Spielberg going, I'm going to do another Schindler's List and it's going to be yeah. about Schindler getting away and the Nazi trials and Nuremberg. You're like, 
Mm, I don't know. You had it's a really good film, and it's not really about him. It's about, and it's like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to bulk it out. We'll make a, we'll do a Hobbit. We'll make a really short story in history, a really long three-hour trilogy. Yeah, it's like, no, you don't have to keep doing this with films. So yeah, contractual yeah, I, sequels, and it just annoys yeah. me. And again, the third one we know was coming because it was made at the same time, and we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, it's uh, definitely this film. It feels like it was the start of a change. Yeah. And maybe not a good change. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I want to leave you with one last bit. I did just oh. have it written down. And annoyingly, like I've misplaced it. Uh, here we go. So when the Merovingian... <laughs> this is because I was really curious. <laughs> so the Merovingian okay. talks about... I love this character. I, I've got a lot of time for this character. I'm so glad he's back in the next one. Uh, spoiler alert. Yes. Um, he shouts some French abuse at oh, Neo. Very sweary. Do you know the bit I mean? Yeah, when he, he gets see, very sweary. He gets very angry, very sweary when he realises Persephone's betrayed him. Um, and he shouts some French words at Neo, which have been translated on the internet. Um, he shouts, God damn you, you whore, filthy, shithouse, jerk, bugger of a mother. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, oh There we go. So, so angry. I love ending on swear words. You know what I'm like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll do the same time next week then, hopefully. Get the uh, so, revolutions, rev- revolutions yeah. in. Oh, I can't wait to see where this film's going, Jake. It was so well, good. It, it, so ha- it happened, and you. It, it did. A long time you were saying that it didn't happen. I know. I, I, I now wish to go back to that, that, that blissful ignorance where I'm eating my fake steak and unaware that two more Matrix films were made <laughs> and then a third existed. And then a fourth. But, I, yes. Oh, gosh. We. we <laughs> There's no end no end in sight. We've got a lot but, of work to do. <laughs> yeah. But the good news is we get to share the pain with the good folks listening to us. So thank you everybody for putting up with this. Yes, and please follow us on Instagram. We'll do more work on that this year because I uh, yes. I want to make it better. Thank you everybody. Thank you. Bye. See you later, James. Take care. Bye. See you, Jake. Bye. Bye. Bye.